Amen. Thank you, Rachel team. How are we doing today? We good? Hey, let's welcome the plaza right now, our church family. Just a few miles away, but we're connected together. And how about everybody online? And definitely not least, but I'll mention them last, but you saved the best for last. Let's give a shout out to the men of Lansing Correctional Facility. You guys are awesome. We love to be streaming to you today. Everybody good? Okay, it's good to have you in church. Go ahead and grab your seats. We're going to jump right in. And we've been in this series of messages exploring the kingdom of God. We're calling it Kingdom Come. And Jesus, about every time he opened up his mouth and his earthly ministry, he was speaking about God's plan, which is his kingdom. What does it look like? What does it feel like? How do you participate in it? And he's explaining an invisible realm of God's rule and reign and how we get to participate in it, even naturally speaking. And so Jesus uses all sorts of stories and parables and examples uh, that fit that time and date for them to understand, hey, it's kind of like this. Uh, I want you to see it like a, like a soil that gets the right seed. We've talked about that already the last few weeks, that, that you got to make sure it's prepared to receive God's word so it can grow and become the fruit of the tree and everything that God wants it to be. You got to make sure there aren't the weeds and the tares in there that steal and choke out some of the unnecessary cares about crisis or struggles in this world. But if you learn to trust in God, his plan will prevail. So it gives us these things to understand the invisible. In Matthew chapter 13, we're going back there today, it gives us two more little mini examples of what the kingdom looks like. He says, here's another illustration Jesus said. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It's the smallest of all seeds, yet it becomes the largest of the garden plants. In fact, it grows beyond just a little plant. It becomes like a tree, and the birds can come and nest in, in its branches. In other words, something so insignificant becomes a place where life can happen. And 33, verse 33, see, Jesus also used this illustration. The kingdom of heaven... It's like a yeast that a woman would use in making bread. And even though she only pits in a little bit of it to three measures of flour, three measures is a, a massive amount of flour, but just a little bit of this element, it permeates every part of the dough. Just a little bit of it brings the change agent that brings growth or helps it to rise to become everything it can be. Oh, okay, Kyle, we're talking about gardening and, and, and baking today. It's home ec here at Kingdom City Church. No, what we're going to learn today is Jesus tries to teach us the powerful principle in his kingdom that little opportunities become life-defining legacy when we can see the significance even in the small. Something you see as small, God calls significant. Something you see as little, God says, I could bring growth through that. And so as we're learning about kingdom come, how does this kingdom come alive in our life? How do we come alive in this kingdom of God? We're going to talk about the significance of the small. That small things in God's hands become great big things. They become incredible life-defining moments when we learn to obey, participate, protect the small. A little bit of seed can become a place of great life. A little bit of yeast can bring change to the situation. And a little bit of God and a little bit of trust and a little bit of faith and a little bit of your gift and a little bit of your sweat can produce God momentum in every area of your life. All you got is a little. 
you got something significant. That's what today we're going to learn. Is that cool? Want to jump in? Let's pray, prepare our hearts to hear from heaven. And I believe God's going to speak to you personally, to your heart like only he can. God, we love you. I thank you for those on the plaza online, the men of Lansing, those up north. Lord, I thank you. You've got something prepared for every heart. The little voice we need to hear. A little action step of obedience. Let it produce legacy change. Let it produce uh, your momentum and let your kingdom come like never before. Lord, we thank you that all many people are already living in sin, getting ready to watch the chiefs. I thank you you're still going to work, not just in our church, but also in Indianapolis today. They sang that the horse and rider are thrown into the sea. It was the Red Sea. So we think that the colts will be drowned today in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you for sacrilegious prayers that you still bless. Amen? Amen. I've got a Bible answer for every chief opponent this year. The significance of the small. Ronald Wayne, nobody knows who that is. It's not a household name, but it should be. He should be a major influencer on the earth, but he's not. He didn't have much faith. He didn't have much vision. He couldn't see the potential. He was a man of little faith. In fact, we should call him Lil Wayne. He was the third founder of Apple, the most successful business of all time. And yet he quit 12 days into the new beginning. He didn't want to work in the garage. He, he, he didn't see the, the opportunity. He didn't think the financial risk would be worth the investment of his time and effort. He could not see the potential. So 12 days in, he said, uh, hey, Steve Jobs and and Steve Wozniak, I, I, I don't want to be working in your parents' garage. I, I want to sell my part of the company back to you. 10% of the company he sold back for a whopping $800. That 10% today would be worth somewhere around $75 billion, making him the top 13, 12 richest person on the planet today. And to make it even worse, I heard he's an Android guy. Yep. <laughs> He's got the green bubble of brokenness in his life. <laughs> but can you imagine this little investment? And honestly, he didn't even have to work there. He could have just held on to his portion. But he sold short. He got out too quick. And it cost him more. I wonder how much of the investment in our lifetime we miss out because of short-sightedness. I wonder how much we mistake it big for being better and don't see the significance in the small. I think in our Western American culture, we are quick to celebrate the fast growth and overnight success, and we love the big, but God's kingdom works through the small. Good news, if you do not come for much, or you've got small beginnings, our life looks pretty meager right now. When you learn to live according to the kingdom of God and walk in God's timeless principles, God can do much through your little. There's significance in the small. Uh, we can only sometimes see what we think it might be worth now, what it could be worth one day when. And we know we're not just thinking about investments that pay off dividends in this life. We're thinking about the eternal. That one day, everything that we do and the way that we manage our life and the way that, that we invest our small gifts and time and the way we relate and connect with people and the way we love and serve others is going to matter for an investment that far outpaces anything on this planet. It's something that's everlasting. 
But if you, ever, you never learn how to leverage your small in the here and now, you're never going to make a difference in legacy for the life to come. The kingdom, Jesus teaches us, just starts small. It starts in the smallest, most humble places. And if you want God to do something big through your life, you might have to learn to deal with your minuscule, your small. If you want him to build something in your life that lasts, if you want a marriage that lasts, a family that lasts, a, a career that's satisfying to your soul and makes a difference in the world, you're going to have to handle dealing with the least because God just doesn't give us everything overnight, but he gives us seed. God gives us a little bit of something to add, a little bit of faith that can bring change and bring growth. See, the kingdom just works in the small because why? The kingdom just works different. So Jesus is trying to teach about these unseen things to people that, that, that they need to grab a hold of spiritual truth so they can begin to apply them to their life. And the message, though 2,000 years old, is still true and relevant to us today, that there's something significant about how we handle the small. Jesus says the kingdom works different. In Matthew 20, he says that one day, those that are in the back of the line are going to be in the front of the line. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. That those on the stage are going to be in the nosebleeds. And those that nobody sees are going to take center stage. It's just the kingdom operates according to a different way. In fact, almost always it's reverse of the way of the culture of this world. What it teaches us is that God doesn't need much to do much. God doesn't need your great to do something great. That God can take your little seed, your little gifting, your, your, your little leverage in life, and do something that's everlasting with it. God doesn't need big to accomplish great big purposes. The kingdom starts small. A seed, the mustard seed, is barely even visible to your eye. In fact, if you put it on your finger and hold it at a distance, it just looks like a little speck. But there's something significant that lives in there. That when you learn how to plant it and water it and protect it, it doesn't just grow a little, it grows a lot. I mean, a bird might not even eat that seed because it can't even see that seed, but it can actually nest in that seed one day because it has great potential. There's significance in the small. It's the way the kingdom worked. In fact, everything that was created that we now participate in, in the here and now, began with just a little phrase, a couple of words, four words, let there be what? Light. And then God said, let there be land. And then let there be life. That God teaches us that even the power of small words come great big change and growth. The Bible says about Jesus, he was the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. What does that mean? He's like the, he's the proclamation of the plan of heaven that showed up in the here and now. And even though he's not on the earth right now, by his spirit, he's still here. And guess what? He's still speaking. And one small word from your God to your heart to your life, it might seem small, but if you plant that in the place of protection with good soil, it's going to grow into something great. Jesus understands small beginnings because his earthly life started so small. He started in little old Bethlehem. It says in Micah chapter 5, you won't see it on the screen, that it's a lowly place. It's a small village. And guess what? It's in a small nation. And Jesus grew up in Nazareth, which is a, it's a distant place. It's like the, it's like the hills that, that, you know, you have cousins that live out hillbilly life in the hills. That's where Jesus grew up. He grew up in an insignificant place to non-significant people. Mary and Joseph were there to watch over him and, and take care of him. Little Israel, just dominated by a great big Roman empire. 
big and small. But what we know is that small person that no one saw coming, that small life that King Herod tried to snuff out, that that small thing that God planted on the earth, not only did it grow uh, to, to, to become the, the Holy Roman Empire, but here we are 2,000 years later, singing, praising, worshiping, declaring, saved by the grace that that small seed has produced much fruit. Think about your life, the small thing that you have right now, the thing that you don't think is all that meaningful or all that worthwhile. If you learn to work your life according to kingdom ways, your small becomes more significant than you could ever know. I wonder what little word you need to grab a hold of in your life that God has spoken in yesterday. Something that he's trying to produce something new. Because the kingdom, in the kingdom, we just believe in the small. That no person is insignificant. Jesus teaches that. If you take care of one of what is called the least of these, it's as if we're serving, serving the king of heaven himself. If we honor and, and bless and add value to the nobodies of this world, we're actually honoring and giving value to the greatest somebody of all time. This is why we believe that people are the promised land, that every single person, no matter where they come from, their family lineage or heritage, our current status or situation, can stop the in Christ possibility in their life. People matter to God. That's why when we start taking care of people that no one else will take care of, God will grow something that no one else could grow. He does something great. Jesus is teaching us that in this kingdom that small beginnings lead to beautiful outcomes. A, a little yeast, the smallest of ingredients, can bring radical change. The smallest of seed can bring great big growth. The kingdom started 12 men, small disciples, a small group. Which, by the way, if you're not in a connect group, get in a connect group. Jesus had a connect group of 12 that went on to change the world. Disciples that no other rabbi wanted, Jesus saw potential. You might be a person that no one else would pick in life, in leadership, on your kickball team from junior high, dodgeball, you gotta be picked last. Guess what? You've got incredible potential. There's something that God's deposited in you that nobody else has and if you learn to see the significance even in your small and learn to walk according to the ways of the kingdom, you will have a future that you would not believe, but it will not start until you learn how to see the significance in your small and in your everyday. Jesus picked a tax collector as one of his top 12. That person was seen as an absolute betrayer of his own people, yet God says, I see potential in you. The one the whole world would write off God says, I can change the world through a person like that. It teaches us that God can change the world with the little and with the leftovers. And all of you have is little, and all you have is the leftovers of a broken season of yesterday. You have the smallest little part to play, but if you learn to hand it over to God, watch and see that he can do something significant in your life. We just learn that small steps will take you to great big heights. But don't look at your small beginning and think that's the end of it all. Our, our buddy, uh, Lil Wayne, from the beginning, he, he could not see the potential in the garage. He did not catch a hold of the vision of values of how this could be something of unbelievable success. Because why, all he could see was the here and now, he couldn't catch a hold of the future of what was coming. In the book of Zechariah, by the way, don't try to turn there in your Bible, we'll put it up on the screen, because if you start looking for Zechariah, we'll be done before you find it. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10, it says, Do not despise these small beginnings, 
For the Lord, it says, rejoices in the coronation. He rejoices when you hit the champagne bottle on the ship and it's set out to sea. He rejoices in the celebration. No, he rejoices in the beginning. He rejoices to see the work begin. God is speaking to this prophet, this priest, Zechariah, who, who was born in exile. He's coming back to Jerusalem to rebuild God's plan, God's temple for God's people. He's got a plan of something to build that's bigger than him. It's actually for God and for God's people. It's a kingdom endeavor. And before he gets there and before he starts, God speaks to him. He's like, let me give you some encouragement that I know you're going to need. Once you get boots on the ground, you're going to be overwhelmed with how underwhelming it is. Because there's nothing, naturally speaking, to celebrate. But I don't celebrate, God says, when I see it finished. I say, don't despise the small beginning, Zechariah, because if you'll go to work, I'll go to work. If you do your part, I'll always do my part. If you plant your seed, I'll bring the growth. If you will live my ways, I will bring my kingdom into your life. And if we put ourselves in Zechariah's shoes, we'd be coming back to a town that we'd only heard about how great it was, but then we'd see how broken it is. Because his grandparents and parents probably proclaimed how good their nation was and the temple was. And then he's got to go rebuild it. And he feels like he's building it himself. In some ways, he kind of is. He's physically rebuilding the temple. There's no infrastructure in the nation. There's no trading partners or tradesmen. There's limited materials and resources. And God says, hey, before you even begin, let me tell you, don't despise what you see because that's not all you'll ever see. And if all you ever see is the here and now, you won't have the faith or the heart to hold on to the promise so that I can participate and make it something that's better than you could ever hope, dream, or imagine. Don't despise these days of small, which teaches us even to this day that God must know something about the end game that we don't know yet. So he says, don't get frustrated when it seems futile. Don't get depressed or discouraged when you start small. Learn to see the potential in the seed because everybody wants harvest, but not everybody plants. Everyone wants growth. Everyone wants change. Everyone wants provision, but not everyone participates. Everyone would want 10% of a company worth $75 billion, but many people don't want to work in the garage. And so they miss the potential and the promise and the payoff of the very best that happens at the end because they never get started in the beginning. What's the new beginning that God is asking of you? What's the small thing that you do have in your hand that God's asking you to surrender into the soil? What's the little bit that you have that you can add to something that brings change? Because many times we do, we get overwhelmed when it's underwhelming. I think about our initial public church gathering that we did. It was August of 2010. First public gathering. We had built a little team, a little Bible study, a little group. And then we had this big dream. It's like, we're going to build the team. And then a month later, we're going to launch the church that we celebrated the launch of 12 weeks ago last weekend. 12 weeks ago, 12 years ago last weekend. We do it pretty good for a 12-week-old church, by the way. <laughs> and then uh, I remember that day. We, we got everything prepared. We worked so hard. We invited everyone we knew. We hit Rock Curse U. And UMKC, because I was 28 back then, I looked like I was 18, so we just went young, dumb, and broke, and we went all in. <laughs> we invited everyone we could see, everyone we could talk to, everyone we connected with, and here it was. 
We were so excited. We were at the, the library on the plaza, and, and we set up this unbelievable display, which if you know Liz, if you're here Friday night, you know the girl knows how to throw a party, and she didn't just learn how to do that. That's been going on for 12 years plus. We had enough cupcakes to feed the 5,000 multitude because we had big faith and a small budget, but we leveraged everything we got for this one shot. And then God had forgotten his promise to Noah not to flood the earth. And a, that was a joke, by the way. <laughs> and a deluge poured. Nobody came. We had our team there. Half of them didn't even show up because of traffic problems and flooding. In fact, I think there was about five people that weren't on the team that showed up. And four of them were from my dad's church, hi mom and dad, that we left to come launch this church. So there's about one person there. Everything we did, all that we had, much of our resource went in for one. I'd love to tell you that that one person went on to become someone of unbelievable significance. I will say this, that one person did join the team and ran our production for about five years, so God knew what he was doing. But in the moment, I was so heartbroken. I had given my seed. I had used my little. Everything that we had was into that moment. And I remember driving stuff back and forth to our apartment, taking down all the stuff that wasn't used, the seats that no one sat in. And I remember being so frustrated and so sad. In fact, I'll be honest and intimate here for a moment. I cried. One single solitary tear rolled down my little ginger porcelain face. <laughs> and I was heartbroken because that was the best that I had. And I remember the prayer I prayed right there, right turning into Ward Parkway. I said, God, if you don't build this, it just isn't going to work. I would love to tell you that from that moment on, everything happened miraculously. I would love to tell you that the people begin to flood in like never before. That did not happen. But I will tell you that every single day from that point, we've been taking ground. I had to show up. Liz had to show up. Now we have a team that's been galvanized. In fact, I looked over the, the, the crowd at the 9 a.m. on the plaza, and I saw probably a dozen people that were there from the very beginning. And so I could have looked at the small and seen that this didn't work and think that it's insignificant, or I could plant it in the soil and see what God is growing now. What I'm trying to teach you is that even in moments of disappointment, if you stay faithful with the small, it will not happen immediately and it will not happen miraculously, but there will come a grace upon your life that will bring kingdom momentum into your life, that it will grow greater than you could even see in the long run, but it will never happen until you start. You've got to learn to see the significance in the small. So I said, God, you're going to have to do it. And guess what? By the grace of God, he's been doing it, but he's been doing it in consistency with our ability and our church family to leverage that which we can do so that God can do what only he can do. The Bible says that God directs the steps of the righteous. And we are not righteous by our own obedience. We are righteous by Jesus' obedience on the cross. That means every one of us that are believers, we're righteous, and God wants to direct your steps. It doesn't say that God blesses and catapults you into your future in one moment or one prayer. No, he leads you step by step, seed by seed, moment by moment. And it's learning to see the significance of the small obedience that leads you into the open places of blessing. Everybody wants the wide open doors of heaven in their life. But the way those doors are open is everyday little keys of obedience. That every time I learn to give what I got and bring it every single day. When I knock, when I seek, when I ask, doors begin to open, one bigger than the next, until you find your place in a 
and a space that's wide open with the goodness of God. That's the kingdom life. And friends, I've come to declare to you, church family, that there's more in your life. There is more, and it looks like small right now, but it will not stay small when you learn how to hand it over to the God who does great big things but tends to work in very small, sometimes even mysterious ways. I love about the early days is that you learn who's really with you. A handful of people that's still faithful to this day. It's pretty amazing. Some of you in small beginnings, one of the greatest things you could ever do is get in a connect group. Because you need other people that might not believe in your dream, but they're going to believe in the God that's a part of your dream. And they, if they are going to teach and encourage and challenge and pray and laugh, celebrate, walk with you through struggles, then the worst things you could ever do is isolate yourself. Because you're missing out on the blessing of unity and participation, which is the way the kingdom works. God says to Zechariah, I rejoice when it begins. Why? Hebrews 12, the author teaches us he's a finisher. He doesn't just start, he finishes. He doesn't just begin the story, he puts the end and then puts it on the shelf. In fact, it says in Psalms 139 that all of your days have already been written by God's masterpiece, author and finisher of your faith. He has written your story. He's not just waiting to see what you'll do. He's waiting to see, will you obey? Will you follow him step by step and word by word and seed by seed into the soil to lead you into the harvest that he's prepared for you? Philippians 1 teaches us he is faithful to finish this good work he began in you. If you look at the very end, one of the last Jesus declarations that we have in the written word, Revelations chapter 22. Look, Jesus says, I am coming soon. And my reward is with me. And I'm going to give to each person. So how many are responsible to do something with what God has given us? Each and every one of us. This is not for each pastor or each, you know, connect group leader or each team leader. This is for every single believer. Each person, I have a reward for them according to what they have done. Not what they've done with someone else's resources, someone else's seed, someone else's little yeast, someone else's little gift. No, what have you done with yours? You are only responsible for yours. He says, I'm the alpha. I'm the omega. I'm the first. I'm the last. I'm the beginning. I'm the end. I love when Jesus has bars. I, he's like, I know what I'm doing. What I started, I complete. But, but I was born with, with, with a broken family. I, I wasn't born as gifted. My, my brother, my sister, my coworker, my neighbor, they, they had a bigger start than me. I'm the author and the finisher. I'm the alpha, I'm the omega. I have the A to the Z and everything in between. I know what I'm doing in your life. And if all you have is a little, I can grow something great. He's the one that starts it and he's the one that ends it. And according to his plan, you wanna have a kingdom life then let him get all the glory. I say this often, but we need to hear it, that when you have little and you obey God with much in time, that space between where you start and where you end, your season of life, the greater the gap there, the more glory God gets. This is why when you come from nothing at all, you should believe for even greater than your expectations. Because when God makes up the difference, he gets all the glory. And God is not into glorifying himself because he needs the ego or the pat on the back. 
He's into taking care of his sons and daughters. So if you do not feel cared for, cared for in your life or provided for, I'm telling you, you're missing a revelation about your heavenly father. That he actually is the one who wants to plant something powerful with unbelievable potential on the inside of every single person. And if you learn how to follow him in the step by step, he'll lead you to great places you could not get on your own. We have to quit comparing our chapter one with people's final chapter in their three-part trilogy of the story of their life. Because you are not accountable to their life, you're only accountable to yours. In the small and unknown, it becomes a special place in God's plan. We just see this is the way God loves to work, through the unknowns, through the outcasts, through the less thans. Think about little orphan Esther. She didn't have anything. She was born under exile, born under captivity, lost her parents, but she got God opportunity. And she didn't miss the opportunity to shoot her shot, to plant her seed, to use her little and she leveraged it for the saving of an entire people, rescuing them from genocide. A few weeks ago, we talked about the little boy's lunch. That's nothing. There probably was more food, but he was the one that was willing to give the little seed that fed the multitudes. And we all love the story of the little shepherd that beats the big, bad Goliath. He had very little, but he became very much. Think about David. David was delivering bread and cheese to his older brothers on the front line. By the way, his brothers were salty towards him anyway. In that moment of service, it was an alpha moment. It was a little moment of obedience. It was a seed moment. It was a small moment. It was an unseen moment. And God used that alpha moment that had an omega ending. He used the little servant that knew he was anointed to be king, but no one else thought it was gonna ever happen. Instead of just well, God, I'm ready for the throne. He says, no, I'll continue to serve my own father that left me out in the field. The one that didn't think I was worthy to be in the room, I'll still work for the one that overlooked me because I know there's one that sees me right where I'm at. And so he served anyway. And that alpha moment of obedience came an omega destiny of the throne. He would never have got to the throne, which, by the way, had a long road ahead of it filled with Saul's jealousy and other battles to fight. We would never have gotten there without the alpha seed of obedience. Are you tracking with me? The delivery boy becomes the king over the kingdom by what? Just doing what his father asked of him. His earthly father, Jesse, what about your spiritual father? What's the one little thing he's asking of you? What's the one place you haven't been willing to obey? What's the one place where maybe it's forgiveness you need to offer? Maybe it's a venture you're supposed to start. Maybe it's a gift you're supposed to use for the glory of God. I don't know what it is. I could probably name 15 more things that hit most of them on the head, but the Holy Spirit can nail your heart in just one moment if you'll ask him, what's the one thing from God I'm supposed to obey? What does that seed look like? And how do I learn to surrender that over to you? Because ultimately what David learned in the alpha places of obedience in those moments came with difficulties that actually brought his development and helped him with his character that got him to his omega destiny. Remember, he, he, he was out with the sheep, the, the lowest job in the family, the lowest job in the nation. It's the lowest of the low, and he did it faithfully. When he was bored, what did he do? He worshiped God. He lifted hands of praise and wrote half of the Psalms. He didn't waste the moments when no one was looking at him. He knew that God was listening, so he decided to worship anyway. And he lifted hands out in the middle of the wilderness, and one day his hand would be lifted over in victory over Goliath, the enemy, bringing 
victory and freedom for God's people, but I don't think he gets to the battlefield without being left out in the field. Some of you have been left behind. Some of you have been overlooked. Some of you have some momentum in your life, and that's beautiful, and yet you need to start believing God for the more that he created you for. And what you learn in the alpha places of obedience and the small seed that seems small and insignificant, actually there's the battles that you fight that get you ready for the character of your calling and your destiny and fulfillment. So what did he do there? He protected the little lambs. He fought the lion. He fought the bear. He got good with his sling. And when he walks into battle and all Goliath can see is he's carrying a stick and a sling, he begins to mock him. But what Goliath didn't know is that he didn't come to fight Goliath like Goliath was ready for. He'd been prepared in the private places to win a victory that Goliath literally didn't see coming. He was prepared uniquely in the seed form, in the alpha place of obedience, for the omega place of destiny. Why? How did he get there? By obeying what his father asked of him. What is God asking of you? God sees your next step and he says, hey, don't, don't think that this is small. Don't think this is, is insignificant. Don't, don't get frustrated when it seems like this, this isn't the future you desired. Hey, don't, don't, this small beginning, don't, don't let it repulse you, but pour yourself into this because I'm the one that delights when I see the work begin. For you, it could be a small place of serving, a small place of obedience, a small sacrifice he's asking of you. Friends, these are just alpha moments of obedience that lead you to the omega mountaintops of your calling and your purpose. Don't despise the small. Another word for despise is, to, is repugnant. We don't use that word very much. It's an old Latin word that means to fight against. In fact, if you know the old-timey word for boxer, it's a, a, a pugilist, they would call it, a fighter. And there's some things that we need to fight for fight for our small obedience, and there's some things we need to fight against. There are some things that you need to despise that are small, like the small things that steal away from your purpose, your calling, from your marriage, from your family, from your future. You need to learn to fight the small things to steal. In fact, when you're passionate about the things of God and learn to plant the seed and learn how to surrender in the small, you'll automatically be learning to see and spot the things that are trying to steal from your in Christ potential and your future. I've noticed this after the pandemic um, and lockdowns, that a lot of my favorite restaurants aren't my favorite anymore. I don't know if you've seen this, but just places that used to have a great product and great hospitality, great environment, they've just kind of, I mean, they're kind of just black now. They're not as good as they used to be. No healthy business decides one day to be bad. They don't wake up one day and be like, you know what? Let's give horrible service. Every time we get a chance to put our finger in the soup or cup, let's do it. Let's do an experiment. How bad can we be? None of them do that. But they forget the standards that got them to where they were. And before long, they begin to slide out of great by just becoming ordinary. They start skipping the small because it's the little nuanced things of encouragement or kindness or hospitality or cleanliness that makes something excellent. They never chose to be bad. They just co- chose to quit getting better. Small slides away from excellent. Same way, no healthy believer wakes up tomorrow and be like, okay, you know what? Today's the day. We're gonna go buck wild. We're gonna party like it's 1999. 
Uh, I know I'm in Kansas City, but I'm going to pretend it's Vegas for just a couple of days. I'm going to go wild. Anything that feels good, I'm going to do it. You know why? I cannot wait to destroy my marriage. Oh, my gosh. I cannot wait. For my kids to, from now on to be in a broken home, it sounds so exhilarating. No one would do that. No one would hurt themselves at that place. But what we would do is allow things to slide. The Bible warns us against it. There's some things you need to fight against. The small foxes, it says in Song of Solomon, that eat the fruit of the vine. The little attitudes and the little behaviors that matter at the things that normally no one else can see, but they're causing you to slide. It's interesting that Jesus in the kingdom, he talks about yeast as a change agent in the bread, but he also speaks about it elsewhere and he says hey beware of the beware of that yeast of the pharisees and the sadducees that little bit of spiritual know-it-all the little bit of the ones that have it all figured out pharisees love to lord their righteousness over others they had self-righteousness they love to divide the who's in and the who's out beware of that little bit of know-it-all because it spoils everything you know they literally celebrate and Jewish people, even to this day, the, there's a festival for the unleavened bread, for the bread that has no yeast. Seven days, you know, you're going to eat the wafer, the pita, without the, without the yeast in it. And the reason they do that is because they had to grab a hold of everything so quickly when they left bondage of Egypt to go into their freedom. They did not have time for every ingredient. So what saved their life is that they were able to move quickly and not allow something in there that maybe would have slowed them down. I'll tell you, when you have it all figured out and you cannot obey God any longer in the small, you did not choose one day to be bad or to be off or to walk into sin. It's the small slides over a season that cost you more than you would ever be willing to admit you'd give in a moment, but we give it moment by moment by not obeying. In the same way that works for our detriment, it works for your betterment. The seeds of obedience and faithfulness and sacrifice and surrender that no one else can see. Friends, those are the alpha moments of obedience that lead you to your omega destiny over time. We learn to protect against the things that steal, to fight against the things that steal, and to fight for the things that God's called us to do. The Lord rejoices when we start with the small because participation with the small has a big payoff. The kingdom of heaven, it starts small. Think about the people in your life. You've been intimidated to share your faith for far too long. In fact, I've noticed this is the new pandemic in the American church is that nobody invites anybody anymore. It's happening all over. I talk to my pastor friends all over the nation. In fact, those around the world. It's just we've lost that back because we had such a season of divisiveness and a season of animosity and a season where the church has gone through this and gone through that that we forgot. You know what? It's just a small invitation. It's a warm encouragement. It's a come sit with me. It's a small seed that could lead somebody to a forever decision of salvation. Friends, we got to get back to obedience in the small. Even though we might be something you despise when you look at it, it doesn't seem like much. God uses it for something everlasting. The small surrender leads to great changes. So let's be willing to start small. I don't know what small thing God's asking of you. I do know this, that your first A, obedience, alpha to God, will lead you to omega results, but you'll never see that next step until you take the first one. And there is something, I believe this for our church, every single one of us have one more small seed he's called us to plant. 
one more action of obedience he's called us to step into. One more place of surrender that he's currently asking of us. Do not live off yesterday's obedience. Today has a brand new start. Yes, there's grace and mercy for where we missed it. We woke up to this morning, but there's also kingdom opportunity to plant what we now have. And I believe this, when we begin to plant that which God has given us, although it might seem minuscule in the moment, there's momentum that happens in the ministry of Jesus through our lives and through our church when every one of us, one by one, don't live off someone else's sacrifice, but we bring our own to the table. We bring our own obedience. We bring our own serve. We bring our own sacrifice. And the more of that we put in the soil of surrender, the more harvest of revival and changed lives, the more beautiful kingdom of God begins to be established in your life. You don't have very much, you have a little, plant it in God's house. You don't have very much, give it over to God. I'm talking about your serve, your obedience, your giftedness, your time, your effort, your energy, your prayer, your praise, your worship. When you put that in the soil of surrender, there is a harvest of change coming your way in Jesus name do you believe that why don't you stand your feet I want to pray for you on the plaza up north father God I thank you for every heart in our house every family every guest every faithful person some for 12 years some brand new to this community of faith God I thank you you're asking one thing of them and one thing only that next step of obedience Jesus thank you for teaching us even 2,000 years later through your word that you can do great things through small things Help us see the significant in the small. And Lord, I thank you, you would block out every small whisper of the enemy that says what they have is not significant. But what we have in our hand, we give it over to you with our heart. You begin to bring a harvest of growth, of maturity, through our obedience, through our sacrifice, through our surrender. You're bringing more grace, more fruit, more help, more hope, more of heaven in our lives than ever before. Lord, when we begin to obey, in the little you lead us forward into much i declare your much over every heart over every marriage over every family over every future i declare kingdom come over every life at kingdom city church in jesus mighty name if you believe that if you receive that if you're ready to give them your love can we give them a little bit of praise come on that's a seed of sacrifice and surrender come on let's worship him for a moment come